When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. People now more than ever in a time when you know, social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever have you, people are putting out their living their best lives. I think authenticity and pulling back the curtain of like how people, actual people that are successful live and think and fear and you know experience pain and hardship and all that. Authenticity is what is needed, like a very clear, big injection of it. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreams Catchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got my good friend, Spencer Hillegoss, with me today. Spencer, how are things out there in Cali? Man, I am indoors a lot, but I think a lot of other people are too. So thank you, Jerome. It's a pleasure to be here. Really, really excited. Man, I'm so glad we were able to carve out some time and hang out this morning. Um, If the listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to find out more? Yeah, uh, a couple ways, you know, so we have a website, uh, madisoninvesting.com. They can always feel free to reach out to me directly if they want to, spencer at madisoninvesting.com. Or uh, as some folks know, uh, I'm super active on LinkedIn. um, So they can always reach out that way too, or just connect or follow if they want. Perfect. I'll link all that stuff up in the show notes. And so let's move into your background and kind of an introduction on who you are and what, what you've been doing. Um, let's, let's just dive into that. Give the listeners a little bit of your background. Yeah, happy to. Um, so I live out here in Silicon Valley, you know, and I, I was born and raised in, in Redwood City, which is just kind of tucked a little bit south of, of San Francisco. And so, you know, I got into the local business in the early years of my professional career, which is technology companies. And so I spent 13 years as a, as a leader and a builder of teams for five different software companies. And, you know, that, that journey was amazing. I, I'm not going to be the guy who's going to sit here and say that the W2 corporate world um, is a bad place to be. I, it treated me well. I have thousands of people that I, I have encountered and met along the way that, that, that uh, enriched my life and helped me grow. And I helped them grow um, as a leader of people and manager and, and, and builder. So that was my 
that was my career. Um, and just four months ago, uh, right before we got, went into this black swan pandemic uh, that triggered a recession, I left behind that career uh, to go full-time into uh, real estate investing. And that, that was not just something we did overnight. Um, Jennifer Morimoto and I, uh, she's my wife and, and business partner, uh, we'd been getting into real estate investing on nights and weekends for, for years. And it, it also helps, by the way, that I had two introductions to the real estate investing world um, much in a, in a much more unique way than I think a lot of people get a chance to. First and foremost, uh, I've technically been in a real estate world since I was six years old, as ridiculous as that sounds. Um, my dad was one of the top performing real estate brokers in the country in residential uh, real estate. So he used to be making me go visit you know, plots of land. I think there's the earliest record of that is like a picture of me sitting with him in an open field when he was selling a plot of land and I was sitting there just trying to distract him and bug him. But when I was a teenager, he made me work open houses and I, I really hated it. I, I did not enjoy that at all. I would rather be hanging out with my friends. Uh, but <laughs> I, I did learn a lot, you know, in hindsight, I did learn a lot. I, I watched him, um, you know, I'll keep this brief, but I'll just say, I watched him build this incredible, really, really comfortable lifestyle because of brokering. And then I also watched it completely crumble because of some really tough events that happened in my life and in our lives. And that was, you know, I won't, I won't go deep into it for you guys, but just to give you a taste, it's like, um, my younger brother got diagnosed with terminal cancer. So he lived a brief and beautiful life. And, and, you know, he, he passed away from that, that often triggers a divorce. So my, my parents got divorced after that. Um, you know, we went through this, this like dark decade basically where, uh, my dad's business shrank, family had to downsize. Um, and so I, I took a lot away from that, you know, I mean, besides the pain and the grief that you work through, but I also think it was a long time ago. And I, what I hold that from that period of time, are the learnings as a parent of my own kids now that you know I have to play financial offense and financial defense, uh, and and, that, and that's a del deliberate choice. And, and I think that I didn't necessarily know how to apply those principles to my own life uh, and to my own career until many years into my my W two corporate career. But they were always like lurking, you know, in, inside my mind and 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 guiding some decisions. I just really wish I had acted on those, um, on those impulses earlier because now, you know, I mean, basically we're in such a better place, both as, uh, as a family, but also as um, people and investors, you know, going into a black swan and triggered economic recession and feeling like we are whole is a beautiful place to be. And I don't think that we ever would have been there if it wasn't for a lot of those learnings applied to things like investing in multifamily and investing in, in real estate in general. And, um, generating income that way. Uh, so long story short, I'm a huge, huge believer in, um, you know, coaching and, I, and I've invested in those types of resources in the past. And I, I have been, if nothing else, mostly a coach of people throughout my career. And, and, and that's just been a passion point for me uh, thus far. But anyways, you didn't sign up for that much of an explanation in my whole life story. So I'll take a pause. <laughs> Can't tell us where you were born or any of that other stuff. So we didn't get the whole thing. But I mean, I think it sets the frame for this conversation. And I think it gives me plenty of different places to go from there. Um, you mentioned kind of casually that you left behind a leadership role in a tech company to invest in real estate full time. And, you know, that's a pretty big step. I mean, you're in Silicon Valley. Those jobs are high paying you got a family. I mean, there, there's a whole lot of things that 
um, kind of sum themselves up as golden handcuffs. And you chose to take those off. So what really caused you to leave the certainty behind? Does it go back to the story you were going? Or is there kind of a specific thing that happened that made you start the pursuit um, and, you know, bring it all the way to the head now? Yeah. You know, I think back to about 2014. Um, that that year and period of time was very specific and tense uh, for, for me and, and I think for just our family, which is a young family at the time. I and mean, that just means like Jen Jennifer and I and then an infant child, uh, the first of our two. And I was working at the time at my fourth software company. Um, a lot of the companies that, that I've been at have been really early stage tech startups. And the narrative you know, just to comment on the wealth narrative that most people follow, like the vast majority of people follow this in the Bay Area. And people who are very successful, by the way, this isn't a rip on them overall. This is just saying the mainstream ethos and approach to people thinking they're going to be wealthy and retire well goes like this. Get a job, work your way up the ladder and get promoted. Make sure you get a really good W-2 income built up over time. Get the prestige of big titles. And hopefully you're going to join a tech startup early enough to get meaningful equity in the company. And that way they're gonna have a big exit and become the next Google or the next Facebook. And if you, if you pick that company right, man, it's your get out of jail free card for all of your sins along the way, all your financial sins. So that was the playbook I was running. You know, I, I was, I'd started at a big company. I feel very fortunate for my time at the company uh, called Intuit. You know, they, they had five years there and I really, really would not, wouldn't change that for the world. I learned a lot there, basically got my MBA just from experience doing that. But the startups, I joined all these startups in a row and man, most of the equity stuff that people chased out, out here, it just never materializes. And if they think it will, then I, I hate to break it to them, but they got to get a different plan going. So I was chasing that plan. And in 2014, I was working at one that was the highest potential. And this company is still doing really well, by the way. They're, they're going to do well. They're going to have a big exit, fingers crossed. But that said, I was working, you know, 16-hour days, proper 16-hour days. Um, I, and there was times where at this one company at this one time, I was spending like, you know, minimum 300 hours in the office in a given month. And that strained my relationship. Uh, with my wife. Um, I'm thankful we're still together after that. And it also made me realize where I was like, you know, this is not the exit strategy that makes sense. And, and I don't think that people grinding it out and glorifying the grind uh, for the sake of it is a way for people to find um, fulfillment, balance, happiness, uh, you know, being a better parent, being present parent, all those things. And so ultimately, uh, that's when I started really looking around. Uh, and it was because of that pain. And, and I did not, I don't think I would have come up with a clear enough set of decisions to get out of that period of time, Jerome, unless a mentor of mine from the corporate world nudged me to go join a real estate tech company. And it was, uh, it's called Lending Home. That was my last company right before I quit. I was there about, you know, three and a half years, roughly. And I, I went in with no real estate investing experience per se, and I had to learn how to become a loan originator, how to ramp up a team of loan originators, how to build a training for how lending and credit works for a company that ultimately had to do 600 transaction loans per month for fix and flips and cumulatively did $4 billion in loans by the time that I left. So I was super proud of that work and I didn't know a darn thing going in in terms of real estate investing, but by the time I walked out, I had you know, a decade plus worth of most other people's experiences. And so I, I look at that like, um, I, I think the handcuffs came off 
and it was a gradual process, but that, that moment back in 2014, um, through pain and through stress and feeling like, like you might jeopardize your marriage. Um, that is definitely the, the, the original catalyst that made me realize like the, the golden handcuffs were a little too tight. And even if they look shiny and, and attractive, it's not necessarily a way to live. It is a way to live. And I enjoy when people uh, romanticize how great the grind is and hmm. how much reward they're getting out of it. And, you know, it's all going to pay off because of the delayed gratification. And while I do believe in delayed gratification, I also believe that, you know, there are pieces along the way that you have to enjoy because you can't just put everything off until the end. You can't just defer it. You can't That's defer right. life, right? Life is happening right now. You've got to participate in the right now and plan for the future as well. Um, it's yeah. then that you mentioned your mentor because you recently did a post on LinkedIn about him, if I'm not mistaken. And different mentor, actually. It was a different mentor, but they, they, they know each other very well, but it's a different okay. mentor. So you had at least two guys show up, kind of helped you along the way. Um, who moved you into the path of building your own? Because you've been working for others the entire time. So who was the person that moved you into that world? That's a good question. You know, I, I think of there was a couple coworkers specifically. Um, and I'll leave them unnamed because I haven't t- talked to them about sharing their stories necessarily on a podcast. But I'll, I will say they'll probably know who they are. Um, they were colleagues of mine and they were going off and building their own flip businesses and there was actually quite a few colleagues that were doing this on the side on nights and weekends while we were all um, working at lending home and working really hard to build that that company and these guys are just, are just so smart you know they, they would spend long hours on nights and weekends going off and working on these projects and before i really got into real estate investing i would i'd sit there and go like what the heck are these guys working on it seems like they're really into it <laughs> and and they you know lo and behold now probably four, four or five years out from when they first started the whole effort, that is what they do for a career and they are thriving. And like they're, they've relocated their, their, their lives and their families to a different state to start these different businesses. And I, I was sitting there watching them and they're less, you know, they're less uh, experienced in the world than, than, than me technically, you know, they're, they're, they're younger than me too. And I really think it's a great example of where you can get learnings from anywhere. You know, like I, I think that I, I have learned and will continue to learn from people that do have less experience than me, um, that have less, less years um, of age and, and time on the earth than me. And I watched these two guys, though, do some amazing stuff. And, and then I would get in conversations with them and they would say things such as like, man, you're under like you're discounting your, your knowledge, like you're discounting like they, they would lift me back up and they would fill up my cup and remind me man, you already know more about this stuff than the vast majority of people that are out there. So why don't you think that you just can't go do it? You know, and it's like, I remember a single question like that that was asked by one of my colleagues. And I was sitting there going, you know, that's a really good question. How come I don't, do, I don't just go, don't go do that? You know, and, and, and it's those questions that give you pause. And it, and, it, and it really just helps hearing a person say that. It does help, by the way, Jerome, that like, there, there's a corporate world mentor um, I was hoping to do one of those LinkedIn posts that you highlighted about mentor, you know, gratitude uh, pretty soon about her. But I remember grabbing lunch with her uh, just a few years ago. And I was still thinking about this. I was just marinating on, could I like go do an entrepreneur move? Uh, and, and she said like, you know, I, she's like, I talked to, in her words, she's like, I talked to a lot of folks and she mentors a lot of folks. And she's like, you just kind of have 
the stuff, you know, like the, the excitement and the drive. And, and she's like, I totally think that you would succeed if you went to go do that. And, and like those little formative moments said by the right people, they just hang with you. And, and, I, and, I, and if you get the right people around you to say that type of stuff, to hold up the mirror, yeah. as I like to use it, you know, then it just, it's the nudge you need. Sometimes it t- that nudge, <laughs> I wish that nudge would kick in faster. You know, I wish I had started that process earlier, but hey, I'll take it when I can get it. Yeah. I mean, some people talk about hearing a voice, right? The voice is leading you, it's telling you to do this or telling you to do that. And you just ignore it. There's so much stuff going on. There's all the noise. And then when you get quiet, you get still, you start to hear it. And so, you know, I think that's, you know, part of it, what you just described. And so you started doing the thing, right? You started building your business on the nights and weekends, as you alluded to earlier. Uh, When did you realize that it was a real thing and you had to keep going? This is what we call the red pill moment. Yeah. It was really just a, you know, it it felt like a hobby for a while, Jerome. And it was like, cool, this is, I'm reading tons of books, you know, in the course of learning at stage one, when you're getting to a new space, you're trying to become a real estate investor specifically. Everyone says, go build your knowledge base. And I had the advantage of being inside of the guts of like a really hyper growth lender that's also a tech company. Um, so that gave me a day job set of educational skills, but I still had to put in the work. So I, you know, I, I was sitting there doing 24 books and you know digesting 400 podcasts and just like eating up all that 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 content and eventually i realized like wait a sec like i actually go have to go start taking action with all these learnings but that was still where i wanted to start you know like so i i really dove in deep to make sure that i wasn't going to go hurt myself um and and then amongst all that process i started to sign up for conferences you know and, and i actually didn't really go to that many i didn't go to that many live events maybe a few meetups and then a couple conferences but the big moment for me was when a year like a, a year out from the moment that i was doing all that work i bought a ticket to a conference and i made a commitment to myself that i was like if i go to this conference and i come back and i still don't feel really energized to go do this as my full-time job then i'll just then I really just need to wind down and stop pursuing it because that means that I'm not that excited about it. And that worked and it worked so incredibly well in hindsight where I went to the conference and I mean, you know, for some TMI for people at the time, I hadn't even ever paid to go to a, a conference outside of my day job. So I was sitting there going, wait, this is the first time I'm going to a conference on behalf of my own company. And I, I, I booked the most frugal, overly frugal hotel room going out to another state. It was a motel, not a hotel, clearly. Uh, and it was like, there was, I could probably go into a deep well as to how ghetto that this place was. But I'll just say that it, it, was, it was a frugal decision and I was going out on my own and it was a weird feeling to be an entrepreneur not representing a company for the first time in my life. And I went there and I came back and I was like, I absolutely have to do this. And, and, and I think that um, from there, the decision was made. I uh, got back home, was talking to my partner and wife, Jen, and, um, and, it, and we went and, and we went from there. Awesome. So were there any challenges along the way that you face and how'd you overcome them if there were? Yeah, you know, I, I think the biggest uh, first challenge is, you know, I heard a bunch of very successful folks that you and I look up to in the real estate world, right? I mean, the, these are the folks that have really big portfolios and they've, um, 
they educate in their value, they're aligned to the value sets, I believe. And I would hear their advice. And one of the things that they would say about when they first got started and they, at least the ones that were in the corporate world prior, they said they wish that they hadn't quit so quickly because I mean, from the day job, like they, they actually, there's one guy in particular I'll highlight. And he, he was like, you know, I wouldn't have pulled the ripcord quite so fast because I would have ramped up my activities on the, on the side hustle and be, becoming the full hustle. And I would have quit the day job once I had replaced some of that income just, just to smooth out that ride, you know, because you, you end up making some, you never want to compromise your decisions based upon uh, a need to pay the bills. Right. And, and, and that, that is, that was really great advice and it's great advice, but I'll, I'll tie that to the second challenge. So I heard that, 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 that feedback and it was like, Hey, ramp up your, your income from the side hustle, keep the income flowing from your day job. And if you're going to do that though, you got to build a system to get stuff done and you're going to be tapped on energy physically. You're going to be tapped on energy mentally, right? Like you still got to find time to do the damn work. And so I had to start waking up at 4 a.m. instead of five. And, and my, I got two young kids. I had to figure out a way to like get the job done on my business before the company's business and still do well enough at the company that they weren't worried about me performing. Um, so I, I had an open dialogue with the company I was working at. And I think this is important for people that have a W-2 job, which is all most folks out there to hear that like I was very transparent and very open and, and courageous with my, uh, with the CEO, CEO and COO at the company though, that I was working at. And, I, and they knew about this stuff. I mean, they knew I was doing this stuff on the side, but I would also turn down uh, three separate times. I turned down a promotion that they were trying to give me. They were trying to give me a bigger, like, like a bigger executive role. And I had to cap my hours and turn down a, a, a meaningful raise, you know, but keeping at 40 hours a week when you're working a full-time job and you're trying to build a side hustle is arguably the most important decision that you could do because otherwise you're not going to have the time and you're going to let the day job eat into your, your, your passion points. You're like, you're not going to go and have time, time and energy to build a side hustle if you, unless you cap those hours and unless you keep the open dialogue and expectations for, um, for, for the bosses that you have there. So that is that type of stuff that that tends to get lost in the mix you know when people ask for advice from for me and they're like how do i do this how do i build a side hustle into my full hustle i'm like stop doing so much work for your day job beyond what is required to do well <laughs> all right all right what's up tribe it's your host jerome i just want to let you know that we put together a free 15 point checklist for exiting the matrix jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up let's get back to the show Right, right. You know, people work until eight, nine. You know, I, I see a lot of uh, high performers. They go to work early. They work all day. They come home. They have dinner. They play with the kids for 35 minutes, 45 minutes. They go to bed and they pull the computer out and they're back on till 10, 11 o'clock at night. And it's just like, that's just for their day job. It's like, well, you'll never build anything outside of your day job if you continue that habit. That's right. 100%. So, what was your worst fear in your process? I mean, you told your employer that you were working on something. So it's not like they were going to find out about the secret thing you were doing. What were you worried about? Yeah, man. You know, I, I think um, one of the biggest fears that I had at the time, and I think a lot of folks really struggle with this, 
because uh, inexperience in a certain area leads to things like imposter syndrome, you know, and, and I think imposter syndrome is real. It's real for everybody in the world. I mean, even the biggest names, right? Like every person across this planet has imposter syndrome for what they're trying to accomplish. If it's something that is a stretch for them, you know, or if they have to take on a big task. And I think for me, um, uh, you know, maybe this sounds silly to folks out there that, that don't struggle with it as much, but even for me, I mean, I'm sitting there going, okay, like I have 13 years of really, really hardcore experience working and building teams and pretty, pretty complex and highly regulated industries. Uh, I absolutely have spent enough time meaningfully on thousands, literally thousands overseeing, uh, transactions like that volume of transactions in real estate. And I would still come out and think, man, when am I going to know enough? You know? And, and, and I, th I think that he, like hitting that, hitting that, that point is so arbitrary feeling. And, and, and sometimes people just sit there and they're always chasing it and they're never quite getting there. And I really think that that, that that's something that, um, it's a hamster wheel that people get stuck on knowledge and acquisition wise coming back to the 24 books I was reading in the podcast is like, eventually, man, I mean, there, there's like a bell curve on that. Like, like you're going to peak on how much value you're getting from all this study. You just got to go start doing things and actually go skinning your knees and actually getting into some of these transactions and, and figuring stuff out. And from a real estate perspective. So for me, that, that was one of my fears was like, man, I just got to start doing things and messing them up. And, and, and as long as it's only with my money and it's not with other people's money, um, I, I think that that is a fair game um, because I don't want to necessarily, when I get to the point where I'm doing large transactions, which is what we do now at Madison Investing, right? I mean, we do, I know we both work in the multifamily side, Jerome. So like we're working on, you know, apartments that, that are over 200 units, some cases up to like 600 units. And so when you have hundreds of people that are relying on you, that's when you don't want to be skinning your knees, but you still got to go out there at some point and you got to start doing things and maybe you're going to mess them up with your own money. So whether that's investing our, our own capital as passive investors into under other people's deals, whether that is buying a duplex locally that we still own now. Um, and it's, you know, th thankfully the tenants are paying rent just fine, which is important to mention. Um, but we overpaid, you know, like we overpaid for that property. Like we overpaid early and we, you know, we bought a $430,000 Bay area duplex and it's, it's cash flowing. Hey, it's cash flowing. But like, man, we could have made those dollars go further, man. We could have, we could have made better decisions there. So like having to tell that story about the economics behind that particular deal is not like a pride point when I'm bringing it up on a, on a discussion like this, because I'm just like, well, I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to risk other people's livelihoods and, 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 and financial circumstances until I had gotten legitimate experience out there. And so the fear was, am I legit yet? I think everybody goes through that. I think the challenge though, or I don't know, I'll call it a security blanket. When you have somebody that's willing to walk the journey with you, that's already been down the road and yeah. you get comfortable a whole lot quicker because you know, Hey, I got these training wheels. They're not going to let me fall too hard. I remember uh, when I was teaching Kay and Leah how to ride bikes, first day we take the training wheels off, I'm running behind them and like, oh, don't fall, don't fall. And then, you know, day two, we do the same thing and they start to tip and you grab them, you set them back up. And then eventually, you know, they're off and doing it on their own and they don't need you anymore. And now they want to race you instead of you running behind them trying to keep them from falling. Yeah. I think we all need kind of that experience or I don't know. 
I think it's prudent to get somebody to look over the shoulders because, you know, the thing with self-education is you may interpret it the wrong way. And because you don't know what you don't know, you won't even know that you're not applying the principles because everything has a frame where the answer is right. Um, and, you know, we didn't talk about this at all. I don't, are you an engineer business by training? Like what is your, your formal training in education? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, that is funny because we, we've talked a lot and I guess we didn't really get on that topic. We get so philosophical and business oriented too. Uh, so I think um, originally all the way back in high school, I was actually uh, started out in computer science, but I quickly realized in college that I was going to uh, not work as hard. Um, so I, <laughs> I decided to go get into business uh, and even some sociology. So in college, I, my focus was business and sociology uh, and I went to University of Colorado. So it might have also been beer. <laughs> um, but I, I, candidly and snowboarding. Um, but I think be after that in uh, Silicon Valley, uh, you know, tech companies, it was uh, bouncing back and forth between a, a few different areas, uh, building operations teams. Um, so building business operations teams, um, you know, customer support teams, um, sales, you know, so I, I, I was a sales leader in, in many different ways, many different hats, uh, in addition to starting very early. My first job in, out of college was in, uh, was an account executive role. So like I learned that I think everyone should go through that. Frankly, I won't go off on a, on a soapbox about why I think everyone should go through a sales career at some point. But, um, the third one is most recently at lending home, I, I was, uh, I built and led the learning and development and professional development. Uh, organization for them and 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 that built the infrastructure for how you have to train basically a lender that has to move the speed of a of a speedboat um, but also have the rigor of a huge bank so it's like you know i had to basically build training and curriculum and infrastructure for that for that company and that was really fun um i had i had worked with like six different l d or learning and development partners at different companies in different ways so it's always been a passion point for me but um, that was a blast. So, so, you know, if I had to claim three disciplines that I feel like I'm, I'm not only competent, but I have expertise in, it would be those three things. It's like operations, uh, business scaling, uh, sales organizations and selling, as well as uh, learning and development, professional development. And I think that is part of the reason why you have that cautiousness about you, right? It's like, all right, I know what happens when operations don't go well. And I know there's so many things that you can't plan for once you get into it. And, you know, that piece of it makes you walk a little bit slower. If you walk around in a room that's dark and there's furniture in the room and you don't know where the furniture is exactly, you're going to move a whole lot slower than you would if, you know, you've been doing it day in and day out for so long. And I think just knowing you personally is, you know, you want to get it right. You have pride of getting it right. And I think there's a lot of people, or there's probably a stigma with tech companies and they're, they're not caring about the money. The money's not real. We'll just blow it or we'll just do another round of raise and throw that money away. And you're saying, hey, no, I treat other people's money more importantly than mine. If I'm a mistake, I'm gonna make it with mine. And then, you know, we'll come back and take those lessons learned and apply it against the same frame with other people's money to scale. So I, I think that's brilliant, man. Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that. And can I just add like one thing uh, yeah. to what you just said? So I think, you know, when, a, a key learning moment for me, and it took me like 10 years to get to this moment in my W2 career. Um, I, I just, if there's anyone in the real estate investing crowd who, who, you know, is thinking about getting serious about it in any way, shape or form, I, I just want to share this learning that I got. Because it, 
it tends to be a surprise that, that I care this much about this stuff. Um, and it's been helpful for our success so far, I think. So when I was at my uh, two, two startups ago, heavily regulated space, right? I mean, it, it works on taxes and, and it, it works on payroll and for small businesses and stuff. And so this is stuff that really matters. It's like the important lifeblood of an actual business now more than ever, particularly with all the coronavirus stuff going on right now. My company is doing some great stuff to support their customers. But when I was there, I was thrilled to be there despite all that. This is the same company that, that almost led to Jennifer and I having a really rough time because I was working so hard. But I, I was excited to go there. And I went there at that company specifically because I wanted to choose a harder path that would lead to the highest maximum learning. I took a 40% pay cut from my previous employer to go to this company knowing that the equity might not even pan out from a financial perspective. I went there particularly because the pedigree of an intelligence and competency of the people I worked with was by far the highest I had ever been a chance. I'd ever had a chance to work with them. So I mentioned earlier, I went to the university of Colorado Boulder and I, I made light of it. It was a great school. I learned a lot there. It's actually like a great kind of a great school that said it ain't Stanford, it ain't Harvard, and it's not a top five Ivy league. Like, so the people I was working with at this company almost exclusively came from those types of schools. And they, they, uh, they operated in such a hardcore way that I was sitting there going, wow, I, have I been doing it wrong all along? And before, before you run off with thinking that they were doing it right, of course they had their own messes, but like they wrote everything down. They wrote, and I'm talking everything, they wrote everything down. And it, they would playbook the world. And by playbook, what I mean is you build a new process, you write down the process you just did. If you change the process, you update the doc that has the process. If you're going to go make a business case for why you should go do something, if data is available to, to go and do that thing, you need to make sure you pull the data, you understand the data, you vet the data, and then you go and do the thing because the data tells you to go do that thing. And so like, these are the things that in real estate, people just don't do. And it's, it's, um, and they just don't realize how much they don't do it. <laughs> like they say, damn, that's a good looking B class. Okay. Why? Right. And, and, or, and, and if they're ready, their readiness to go into a transaction is based upon discussions and there's not really any notes from those discussions and, and, and reasons and business reasons. So I bring all that stuff up, not to preach at people. I just bring it up because I didn't have any of that awareness before I, I deliberately said, I don't, I don't know why I felt like, why I was so lucky to have the opportunity to do this, but like the CEO of this little startup felt like we had a really good connection and he was willing to take a bet on me and I was willing to take a bet on that company and I would not trade it for the world. It was the hardest year and a half of my life. It was so hard. And, and I would I'd absolutely do it again. Despite the fact it took a huge pay cut, despite the fact that, it really jeopardized my marriage, despite the fact that um, it really wasn't that fun. Um, and it was the best learning experience of my life. And it was like getting paid to go uh, to go to a, an elite business badass school and uh, occasionally feel like other people were judging me constantly because I couldn't show up as well as they could. But by the time I walked out, I could run circles around them. Yeah. So that whole hard work beats talent thing is a real thing. And a whole lot yeah. I don't actually realize that. So was there a point where everything was on the line? Did, was there a rock bottom for you? You know, I think um, I would probably want to take it back a little earlier, Jerome. I, I, th I think on that question, there was a moment 
this was all the way back like two years into my corporate career. Um, I no, you're sorry, year and a half, year and a half into my corporate career. Um, I had just finished my first run at a company and it was just as an account executive and I had been turned down twice for management. And I, and I was like, why don't they want, not want to let me be a manager? And in hindsight, um, I had just taken out my lip ring like six months earlier and cut my hair from being a metal band guitarist. Uh, you know, and, and I was like, why don't they want to consider me for management? These guys don't know what's, what, what, what I could bring to the table. And I just didn't have a very good awareness yet uh, in the working world as to why that kind of stuff actually matters when you're in a leadership position. So I quit that company and I went off and traveled Europe for a bit and had too much fun and racked up a ton of credit card debt. And I, you know, call it my e pray love moment as a couple of mentors have referred to it now. And I think that's probably fair. Uh, and I went off and did all that. And I remember distinctly the exact moment I was sitting on a beach in Croatia. I was journaling because I had never tried that before. And I was like, let's go journal while I'm sitting in Europe. And I decided in that moment, you know, I think I've done enough of this joking around. I want to go do something that is meaningful. And so long story short, I paid for like a 20, you know, 24 hour flight to get all the way back, multiple flights all the way back to the States. I went back to a mentor who was previously my manager at that company. And I said, I think I, I, I made him, you know, I think I made a mistake. In hindsight, it wasn't a mistake, but it was certainly foolish. Um, and and he, he took, not only gave me a chance to come back to that company, I had, he said, you can only come back if you move to another state. It was Colorado. If I move to another state on my own dime and I have to drive through the dead of winter to get out there in time for the, the first day, the first start date, I would have to take a support customer support job um, and the customer support job didn't pay great um, relative to what I had been doing previously. It was a huge pay cut. It was like I was making, you know, 13 or 14 bucks per hour. And I'm not commenting on that being high or low. I'm just saying that was low relative to where it was. So I took that customer support job in a call center in Colorado. And if I did well enough there, I would, might get a shot to be able to go be a manager. And, and so I said, okay. And, and, and I moved all the way out there. Um, and, in hindsight, I think that that was one of the most important decisions ever. And it was a pretty weird moment. You know, you're driving there, you're, you're moving your whole life, you're leaving your safety net, you're in a bunch of debt. And then you realize like, I'm going to go do this thing. And it, it's a big bet. And so I, I think that that, even though it was fun sitting on a beach in Croatia and partying and going to Oktoberfest and, and driving around in an RV in Europe with some friends, um, I think that that was the equivalent of bottom. Um, as silly as that sounds, and I know I'm not trying to belittle actual bottoms that people have gone through. Um, you guys have already heard my earlier story about going through a lot of hardship with my losing my brother and other stuff. There's plenty of other rough stories to go through, but for me, career-wise, I think that was an early bottom, uh, and I think that that made um, that was an impactful time. <laughs> so, you know, how long did you stay in there in that space? Because I mean, the flip side of that, I mean, you've probably multiplied your income. I'm not even going to pontificate on where the numbers went to, but you grew your income dramatically. And so you went down to that kind of low paying role for all intents and purposes in Colorado and California. I mean, it's really difficult to live off of money like that. So uh, what was the reward for the backside? Was that kind of like a rocket ship out of that space back into leadership and then executives or like, how did that work? You know, yes, um, it was. And I think, uh, 
it, it, within about two years, um, went in customer support, worked really hard, very business oriented, bought all the new clothes, got read voraciously. I was all day, all night talking constantly about business and, and it was more corporate business. This is not an entrepreneurship business. It was a, well, a lot of overlap though, of course. So promoted a manager, then moved around in a rotation style while I was working really hard and trying to manage up the best I could. But man, was I a handful at the time. Um, anyone that had to manage me at the time, really, thank, thank you uh, for putting up with me. I was, I was a real big pain in the ass. Um, but over two years, I was promoted rapidly, ultimately leading to me leading a facility of over 200 people. And so it was uh, at the age of like 26, roughly, um, and w which was also arguably too much responsibility for my capabilities at the time. Um, and so I, I really did not know what I didn't know, but I thought I was pretty hot shit on the other side of that. And I think that it was, uh, you know, the best corporate learning experience I could have gotten managerially. Um, and so my, the income definitely rocket shipped uh, after that, after I went all the way down to bottom because it just kicks you into high gear in terms of survival, you know? And, and I think that if people haven't necessarily put themselves into a tense, um, you know, must succeed type of state, you got to go simulate that somehow, because if you're not able to go and do that repeatedly, because that, that's effectively what, what I have gone out of my way to do. And I didn't realize this until years later, but you, you got to find these crucible moments. You got, you got to figure out what, what these crucible moments for you are going to go be. Because if you're just going easy going and you're, you never have real hardship in terms of your career and you're in these white collar environments, you're just not going to be that good. I hate to say it, like you're just not going to be that good. Like, like, and and I, I distinctly remember um, a mentor of mine, same mentor that gave me a shot to come back to that company and take the support job in another state. And I remember him saying to me, was like, he's like, man, sometimes he's expensive. I've, I've met executives that can't manage a gas station. And, and, and I was like... <laughs> I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. I, I want to be the guy that can manage a gas station. You know, and, and some, what he's basically saying is you don't have any real world pragmatic, uh, you know, skills that you can spin a slide really well for doing your quarterly business results. And so I, I, I was like, wait a sec, I'm the corporate guy there. I'm not the entrepreneur guy there. How do I be the entrepreneur guy there? I don't want to be fake. And so I don't know where I'm going with that besides it's a, it's a really, really stuck with me. Yeah. I think you're, to the place of you know being practical matters and people can get stuck in a tower and forget that you know there's people and other things involved you're not just managing off a spreadsheet and so you know you've you've walked away and you're out here doing your thing full time now uh, do you get those phone calls trying to pull you back into the old world you know um <laughs> yeah uh, but but i would say that it's now starting to slow down a bit which is nice um it is flattering, you know, but I, th I think I used to be, I think like so many of us, Jerome, like when you get that LinkedIn message or, or like a recruiter reaches out and, and they're like, Hey, we have this, this role that we're hiring for. I, I used to think like, Oh, like, let's go look at this. It feels cause it feels good. Right. It's an ego pad moment. It's an ego pad moment. And, and I mean, you, you had your corporate career as well. And I, I'm, we all, we've all had those moments and we're sitting there reading and going, Oh damn, this job looks great. Oh, the, oh, they have a good, package for us, you know, good, good comp package, good benefits. Um, I could do that. Ooh, it's a, it's a title jump. Ooh. Um, I, I really don't look at those the same way anymore. And it's really just about helping others. You know, I, I think like through that lens, when someone reaches out now, the, the, the internal playbook is instead of being a, Oh, maybe me, it's who can I help connect them with? 
and 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 that's a much better place to be. <laughs> yeah, not for me, but I know a guy that's still playing that game. Uh, let me yeah, can connect you with them and be a conduit. I, I don't want to be a dead end. Let me see if I can be a connector. Exactly right. So, what's the biggest difference now that you know you've outgrown the old way of life to your approach? You know, I think. Uh, I mean, we chatted about this just a little bit up front, but one of the bigger differences that I really think is, is it's, it's under discussed. So I'll just mention it up front because uh, it's where the rubber meets the road. And, and that is, man, most people are addicted to a paycheck. You know, modern, modern professionals and modern adults, like if you're working any type of stable job, you're used to getting a steady paycheck. And that steady paycheck is an addiction. It's, it's, it's an addiction. It's somewhat even irrational, I would say, because you're sitting there just used to it. You're used to it seeing, seeing that direct deposit maybe hit your account, right? And it took me two to three years after someone mentioned that to me and framed it as an addiction where I was like, that's absolutely right, actually, um, because you got to get used to just getting, I mean, it totally depends on your business model, totally depends on what you're doing, clearly. But uh, you know, for, if you're in real estate transactions, um, you know, it's a mix of passive income from your own passive investments, if that's your jam. Um, but if you're purely active and you're doing things like maybe brokering or wholesaling or whatever, then you're going to get big chunks of money that come in occasionally. And then you have to actually do things called budgeting. Um, and so, you know, just, just getting the new financial picture worked out, um, I think is something that uh, a lot of folks don't really, don't really think through. Um, and so I just want to mention that up front because that is the where they that is the reason that a lot of people don't even look at it further. It's just the fear of what happens when those things stop flowing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that combined with hey, I've got to replace X amount of dollars coming in each month with this new thing I'm doing, and I don't know how to do that if I'm working forty hours or fifty hours for somebody else. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody actually does it, and I think you'll find this to be true as well. Like you don't have to make as much money after you leave work as you did when you were working. That's right. Totally agree with that. You know, and then the, there's something to be said for your time and you know, being able to allocate your time the way that you want to allocate your time and having discipline and rigor about it instead of, Hey, I drive an hour to work or I drive 30 minutes to work and then I have lunch and, and I go home and, you know, all these things. And I've got to ask for permission to go on vacation or go to that thing with my kid. Um, you know, all those things, just freedom is worth a lot more than money to me these days. And so, you know, with that, totally. said, what are you most grateful for? Yeah. Can I have one more thing on that? You got me thinking about it, something before we go to the gratefulness. Can I have one more thing on that? So like, I think that uh, if you were to map, we all have so much attention we can give in our lives every day, right? Like attention that we're giving to this discussion is 100% of my attention. But in, at any given time, you're navigating, going to the store, maybe outside coronavirus, but you're doing work, you're thinking about your kids. We have 100% attention that we can divvy out. When you're at a job and you're, you're employed, you're never fully at zero of your attention going to that, you know, going to that job. Like you, you are in that company. You are thinking about their problems. You're, you're solving the company's vision. You're solving for the company's needs. And if you believe in their, in their values and you believe in their vision, dude, that's great. I've rallied around other people's visions for 13 years. But if you are not doing that, the day you walk out of whatever company you work for, 
that allocation of attention just became yours. And that is freaking awesome because you start thinking and solving problems in a way that you never thought possible. And you actually have this mental allocation of breathing room and time to solve things. And you will be shocked with what you're capable of in terms of creativity. I used to think I was not creative at all. I was, I was a guy, I was like, no, I'm just not creative. turns out I'm actually pretty creative. And, and I just didn't give my chances, myself a chance. And I think anyone could be creative. So I, I appreciate you letting me uh, go off on my soapbox on that topic. I just think pe- people really, we really assume a lot about what we can't do. And I think that that's, uh, I think that's wrong. So gratitude, I mean, gr- gratitude wise, oh my gosh, I am so grateful for so much. Um, the number one thing by far that I am most grateful for is my better half. Uh, you know, so, so, so Jennifer is, uh, I've mentioned this already, but we've been together for a very long time, um, you know, including both dating and marriage. And, and, and I would say that uh, as a business partner of mine, you know, we started our, our financial life together in debt. Uh, you know, right around that same period of time I shared earlier where I was traveling Europe, et cetera. Um, I got into, you know, about probably 30 grand at the time that felt, that felt like an insurmountable number, about 30 grand in credit card debt. Um, and, and, and so did my better half. And so we got, we were together at that period of time, getting out of debt together and we merged our finances, which I strongly encourage everyone to do. This is like one of the top reasons people get divorced if they don't do it right. You don't have to do it our way. I'm just getting to get my plug for that. Put them into one mint account. And so we, uh, we got out of debt together. We, uh, we then built our careers separately. You know, she, she, she's, a, she's a marketer by trade. And, and, and so she built a very successful career over in a very different type of industry than I worked in. I went off and built my career. And I'm grateful because we went off and did that and learned how to self-sustain each of our careers respectively. And when it came to working together on Madison Investing, we didn't know, really know how it was going to go. Um, and we had some, when we finally decided to do this thing, we had really, I don't want to say brutal, but it was, it was not far from it. Like we had some hard first, you know, two weekends were taken strategic discussions where there were full cycles of emotion. It was like in one day of eight hours of experience of having tears and reconciliation, a couple cycles of that. And then we got down to this newfound relationship level that we're at now where we can communicate effectively. We can make strategic decisions faster and stronger than really anyone else I know with as a family unit and a business. Um, and we never would have gotten there uh, without going through the struggle first. And, and I'm so, I'm grateful on a level that I can't really convey with words, you know, for her. And, and I just think that as corny and as mushy as that might sound, um, it's also very business pragmatic, just to be honest. I, I think that, I think people don't think when they're building a business and they're going to chase dreams that the person they live with is part of that plan. And you're not going to excise them from that plan. You have to figure out and bring them in and have them understand how they fit in. And if you don't take the time to go do that, it's going to either slow you down or eventually kill your idea. So figure it out early and don't, don't, don't try to silo. The silo will fail. <laughs> you know? And so I, I am very deeply, deeply grateful for, for her. And I'm just grateful for having, um, for, I'm grateful for my dad too, because my dad was the guy who, showed me what it meant to wake up at 4 a.m. And I used to wonder why he did it. And, and I think that like, 
I now understand why he did it again. I've been doing it. So in hindsight, we really do become, uh, we kind of become our parents in ways that we never really anticipate. So I could probably keep going down a laundry list of things I'm grateful for, but I'm just deeply grateful for all those things so far. I think that's awesome. And I think she is going to be smiling from ear to ear when she hears this. Yeah. So what dream were you most focused on catching next? Yeah. Oh man. Um, Right now, as nerdy as this might sound, uh, I think I'm, I'm going to have to write. Uh, we were chatting about this pretty recently, Jerome. I think uh, what I was going to start as an, as an ebook, uh, I was going to write a book, an ebook. Um, I think that after two weeks of just sitting and planning and aren't doing R and D, I actually am going to write a book, um, and and, and it's, it comes on the like a full blown one, um, because I I don't know. For years, I thought I was a crappy writer, and then over time people have been like, no, you're actually a pretty good writer. Um, and it just sounds really fun. And like, I think I want to be, uh, I want to just try that. You know, I, I wanted to take, take a real crack at that. And I, and I wanted it to be something that was digestible and quick and helpful for marketing and helpful for education. But frankly, I think there's more principles and learnings and stories to tell. And I, I think of the books that has have helped so many people in real ways. You know, I look at the book, like easily the most profound book for most people out there would be like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, in the real estate investing circuit. But, you know, for me also, I think of like the millionaire next door. Um, these are things that just literally give you a brain transplant. And I in no way think that I'm capable of pulling off something that would ever, you know, reach those those levels of impact on people's lives. But I don't want to write that off until I give it a shot. And so um, I, I think uh, that I think that that's got to be that's got to be it. So it'll be fulfilling and skill building. I'm sure I'm going to mess it up. And it's going to take extraordinarily longer than I really anticipate right now. But um, that's got to be it. Awesome, man. If I can do anything to help, I've done two so far and I don't think I'm done yet. So if I can do anything to help you along the way on that journey, let me know. Oh, I'll take you up on that. So what gift are you giving the world if you had to pick one? Yeah, man, I think authenticity and listening. I think I know you asked for one, but I kind of think of these as the same, which is like, there's so much positioning and optics management in the business world in entrepreneurship and even just in personal relationships. And I think now more than ever, whether it's you, I think as a compliment to you, Jerome, I think you are a, a living embodiment of these values. And so like people now more than ever in a time when you know, social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever have you, people are putting out their living their best lives. I think authenticity and pulling back the curtain of like how people, actual people that are successful live and think and fear and, you know, experience pain and hardship and all that authenticity is what is needed. Like a very clear, big injection of it. And, 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 and I think um, that that's absolutely something that I can bring to the table. I've always been putting my foot in my mouth for years and, you know, <laughs> reaping all paying the bill on it from time to time as well. But I think uh, authenticity and listening um, and, and meaningful interactions uh, are what the world uh, needs. And, you know, if nothing else, I feel like I haven't always hit the, hit, hit the nail on the head throughout my, co my coaching careers uh, or my professional career. But I have coached literally hundreds of people um, in that environment. And, and, and that has been what I have been told life-changing by a couple of people, you know, and, and I think that that's something I can, I can help people with. I don't have a formal coaching program per se, but I just like, it doesn't mean I can't do it. I mean, co I mean coaching happens every day, every hour, 
in one-to-one -one interactions and in other formats. And you know, some people I think absolutely have programs that are excellent to do this type of stuff. I think I'm talking to one right now. Um, but you know, but but beyond that, um, I want to be able to at least be authentic and real and listen to people and, and help them find that voice of their own because they'll do better in life and business when they find it. You are the light. That's awesome, Spencer. And so the final question is, what's the one thing you want people to take away from our talk? You know, I, I just want people to take away from the, from, from the talk that like seeking out learning and knowing that you will win if you focus over the long term. Um, I think, you know, take the long view and have conviction in your path because it's not about waiting to see if you're successful in six months. It's not even going to be successful in 12 months. Like if you really pick a time horizon more like five to 10 years and, and, and you want to pick that and, and really put a stake in the ground and say, I will be successful in five to 10 year horizons, then you are going to, you're going to do well. You really will. If, as long as you work voraciously up against that, that goal and you go in with both hard work and humility, um, then, then you can get there. So like, believe in yourself and believe in your capabilities. Um, I, I think, uh, don't don't assume a damn thing about what you can't do um you know you, you got you got to just take a crack at it but do it long enough to give yourself a chance don't just throw in the towel because you tried something for a week go and try it for six to 12 months go and try it for for even longer than that and then make the call spencer i think you've made it very clear why you've been able to make your dreams a reality um you know my thesis on life is dreams should be real and i appreciate you being an example to the community on how that can actually happen I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to share with us today. I look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Jerome. I really, really appreciate um, not only you as a person, but I think also the message that you're getting out to people about this and just the authenticity that this type of discussion can help people with. Thank you. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.